I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags-to-riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school, and with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Hugh, how you doing today, brother? I, as always, people know me. I say I'm blessed and never stressed. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm getting a little of that uh, from you, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think about that all the time. Yeah. You know, how blessed I am and how, how being blessed here is less stressed, right? That is sure. true. You got to speak it. So, hey, uh, you know, we, we've, uh, we've got a... Uh, really, I, I'm a little biased here, right? We might have we we have the coolest dude of all dudes on our podcast today. Okay, right? yeah, I, I, I got a little relationship with this guy, right? But uh, but seriously, he's the best. And uh, I I, I got to say, uh, when we look at our our guest, you know, we're looking for a top one percent of an industry, right? That somebody that's led their industry to be top one percent and got you know grown a business, right? Now this isn't quite that, but this is. On the way to that, and actually, actually, I think about it, it might be, it might be, you know, top top uh, few percent of an industry that's brand new. This we're, we're talking a new industry that this this guy's into, uh, and uh, he's you know it's a small industry, so he might be up there in the top you know top percentage of the space because there's not a lot of people doing it. So uh, today we're going to talk to a guy. Uh, like I said, I, I know I'm pretty good. Uh, Austin, you say Rabin? <laughs> Rabin, right? Rabin, oh yeah, oh that one, that guy, yeah. <laughs> so it's actually Gary Austin, Austin Rabin, right? Yeah, yeah. Go by Austin. Go by Austin. Go by Austin, yeah. Uh, but uh, so we're going to question the heck out of Austin. Yeah, uh, man. He's, he's, uh, he's had some great success for a young guy and, and a lot more to come. And this is what I'm excited about, to be honest, just obviously because I've just had my first son and uh, he's four weeks into it and i think any man um out there they want to leave a legacy right and to me at least this is extremely exciting to ask you questions but to be sitting here between both of you all because um you being a second generation entrepreneur on your own doing your own thing like that is a true legacy testament you know like and I can only imagine. I mean, I duplicated what you all did. You know, I called my son. He has my name, you know, the exact same way. So um, I'm excited. The exact man. same way. So he's not a junior. I he's not a junior. junior. He's a second. All right. Yeah. He's a, yeah. Yeah. Call him Trey. 
you know, but uh, but so you know, his middle name is <coughs> Tremaine, right? Well, uh-huh. your middle name is Austin. That's why we yep. call you Austin. So it's the exact same way. So I'm feeling the success principles in this room, and I'm going to duplicate that as well. But really, really excited to be here, share, or more more importantly, ask you questions, man, because. Uh, you got a lot of uh, amazing. Um, you got great, great. You got some great parents, but I'm pretty sure you had you've had some great success because of some of the things you've implemented. So I'm looking forward to. So, so I, I just got back from India. You yeah. know, I talked about that a, a few episodes ago. I was gonna, you know, I was inked to go to India for uh, treatment on my son, and I thought maybe myself. And I get there, and I got I got an MRI done, and they said you don't have epilepsy. You got some scar tissue in, on your brain, but it's not epilepsy. And these, I trust these guys. So they said, we don't need to do any treatments on you. You're fine. Actually, they tre- test, detected, detected, uh, tested my heart and a bunch of other things and said, boy, you're, you're, you're okay, man. You're in good shape. So even though I look like a putz, uh, I'm in pretty good shape. I <laughs> look guess. old, but I look in old. Good shape. I look a little yeah. warm, but they, they say I'm okay. Uh, so, so either way, that was all good. But in India, for, for the first uh, week or so, and, and my wife got a, had to get an MRI, she had a spell, and, and uh, and so her, her cancer started to grow back a bit, right? And uh, there's nothing they could do conventionally here. So sure enough, I had enough confidence after being there for a week that this is a pretty, pretty uh, solid program that they do on, the, on, on brain diseases and, and some cancer, cancer uh, uh, cures as well. So we got her over there. So my wife is there finishing up now. My daughter's flying out there to be with her the last week, and, uh, and she's finishing up her, her treatments at this, this center that Nick and I were at for over a month. Um, but but being there in India, you know, some of the, the, the greatest lessons of my life were there. I mean, I, I, I've never imagined spending 34 or five days in, in a, a country I'd never really cared, never really thought I'd want to be in, right? And here's a country where 90% or thereabouts, you know, 80, 90%, they say, of their, of their population lives in poverty. So, so think about that. 80, 90% live in poverty, and their poverty level is way lower than our poverty level in the U.S., so you think about that, I'm thinking, man, there's got to be some dangerous areas, right? These, the, 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 you know, impoverished areas. I probably don't want to go there, all that. But we went there. My driver has one of the places uh, he, he wanted to take us. So I'll take you to the slums, right? And, and we felt 100% safe in these slums, 100%. And the nicest people, I met a lot of people there. Um, at every level in India, the people we met, from, the, from, from some people that were in politics and, and leadership and, and business and government, to, to entrepreneurs, to people from the slums, to my driver who drove me around, uh, who lived just a, a, a level above those slums, right? Amazing, loving people. And so you ask, why is that? How is that that, that, that that's the case? Well, I also looked at their, their, their uh, um, murder rates there and their, and their crime rates, and they're, they're way lower than America. So I'm like, how can that be that 90% live in poverty, yet the murder rates and the crime rates are so much lower? And so what do I discover? Something that we're going we're to talk about today a little bit, right, that Q, you already mentioned. Um, n- over 98% of their population, father is in the, in the life of, this, of, of their kids, right? <coughs> father, mother, not just father, mother. In many cases, Graham and Gramps are living in the same place. Mm-hmm. Now, these aren't big places. They're a little bigger than my office here, right? And, and you could have seven, eight people living in there, a couple people you know, as breadwinners probably, um, supporting that family. But, but what I saw was faith community was huge and all different faiths, right? There's, I met Muslims. I, I, I met, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I went, met some Catholic, went to Catholic churches. So I met a lot of Catholic people. Um, met some Buddhists, right? Met all these different types of, of, of uh, religions. And every one of these people, uh, you, you could tell, just had this, this character of compassion and love and respect, right? And, 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 and the one thing I'll say is no fear. 
So I'm in the, in the slums and people are coming up to me wanting pictures with me, right? These little kids and the older people. Hey, can I get a picture? You know, they, don't, they don't speak my language in most cases. They have like a lot of different languages in India. But, but they can communicate, you know, picture, picture, right? And, and sure enough, I'm doing selfies with all these people like I'm some type of star over there, right? <laughs> and they don't know that I'm, I, that, 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 that I'm this hillbilly guy, but they, they, I'm, I'm a tall, skinny, white guy, old guy. must be, uh, you know, different looking. They want to get, and sure enough, I find out they take pictures of people that, that, that like me or maybe like you too, Q, that, that they don't see a lot. And they'll put them up in the walls in their house. And I'll say, well, who's this? Well, this is a guy that I got a picture of. Right, right. Looks different, doesn't he? Right. Anyway, but, but the bottom line is I found, I found compassion, love, respect, and, and no fear in, in the people that were there. Mm-hmm. And how is that? Well, 98%, more than 90% of the families are raised with a, with a, with a father and a mother mm-hmm. in their life. Gotcha. And so that's huge to me. I, I just want to reiterate that how, how important that is. And when we talk about this today, you know, how we raise our families is the most important thing we can do. Yeah, so let's, let's, let's dive, that and dive into that. We, of course, if you've ever heard uh, the first episode, um, Gary <clears throat> talks about his upbringing. And now I don't know what episode we're on now, but we're going to listen to Austin. And, you know, why don't you tell us about your upbringing, living in the Rabine household and how was it? And then we guess we can kind of go from there. Your Is story. he staying for that part? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So finally, Austin, you get to talk. Austin's, Austin Rabine. And I just say Austin's a little more like his mom. He's more thoughtful than me as far as that. You know, I, I talk just because uh, words are rolling off my tongue. Nothing really stays in. Austin's more thoughtful. You know, he's a little... little uh, uh, more analytical probably than me, more like his mom, and uh, probably a lot better that way than, you know, a lot better in life to, 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 to run your life that way. So, Austin, Welcome. let's go, baby. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. so grew up in uh, Johnsburg, McHenry County area with, you know, my, both my parents in my life, uh, two sisters, and then Nick, who came along when I was 16 years old. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. yeah, so I was 16 when, uh, when we adopted Nick. And we moved into a new house in Johnsburg at that time. Um, but uh, I, I don't know, I'm not good at talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep, we'll keep uh, he'll keep, keep uh, you know, digging into so stuff. So <laughs> in your first like 16 years, I mean, that means I'm pretty sure you was around as, you know, the Rabine was paving the driveways and paving around. What mm-hmm. are some of the things that you saw as in your upbringing um, that your dad even implemented that some of the things that you like, man, let me utilize that as I'm, as I'm growing up or that or, you yeah. saw. Or some of the things you saw and you say, don't ever want to do that. <laughs> <Not again>. yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, something I don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think that the biggest thing that, you know, from growing up that I saw from my dad and my mom was, you know, work ethic. Okay. Uh, you know, my dad was always working. He was, you know, growing up, he was on paving crews, right? I mean, for a lot of it, probably yeah. until I was 13 years probably 12, 13 years old, you're mostly on paving crews and still yeah. running the business. And, yeah. uh, you know, be, he'd be out snow plowing during storms. Oh, and wow. uh, So, yeah, so definitely work ethic. You know, he had great work ethic, and I saw that, and he made sure that my sisters and I also had great work ethic. And uh, same thing with my mom. She, you know, took care of the house and us kids, and she had great work ethic, you know, making sure that you know, we were where we needed to be and we weren't getting into trouble and, and making sure that... Uh, that she was there for us. So, okay. um, so yeah, I think work ethic was probably the biggest thing that, that I learned growing what up. What was your them. first job? Because I'm hearing a lot of these first job similarities out there. The, my first official job was, uh, would have had to have been lawn mowing. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. All mowing right. lawns. But uh, before that, I mean, you know, I would uh, do some free labor on paving crews and stuff <laughs> when my dad needed it. Okay. All <laughs> uh, right. But no, I started, uh, sn- or sorry, started, um, mowing lawns when I was probably 
13, 13 yeah, years old, so. 13, 14. Um, and so I, I borrowed some money from my dad to, uh, to purchase a lawnmower and I couldn't drive obviously to, to the, you know, anywhere too far cause I didn't have a driver's license, but uh, I would <laughs> drive my lawnmower around the neighborhood and, uh, put you know, flyers on people's doors to get business in, uh, to get business from them. And, uh, couldn't, like I said, couldn't go too far. So just kind of in the neighborhood or across the street, um, the neighborhoods I could drive my lawnmower to. So <laughs> did that from 13 to probably 17, 16 or 17 years old. Uh, so then when I was 16, uh, I ended up saving enough money mowing lawns to buy a truck and mm. trailer and uh, bought a nicer lawnmower. And then I could drive further you know, around town to, to mow lawns. So uh, yeah, yeah gotcha. that's probably my first job. Yeah, so he, he basically did the exact same thing you did with paving driveways when you were 18. You talked about how you purchased your first uh, I guess paver, you know, from yeah. that perspective, yeah. and you said it wasn't the best, and you know, no, right, yeah, and, and, and actually, he did the same thing. Yeah. Look at that. So, he, so he, what happened? What I, what I remember a little bit of the story I remember is, you know, he would see older brothers and sisters getting new cars for their birthdays, right? Sixteen-year-old <laughs> birthdays, are getting new cars, right? And Austin's looking at it, that's pretty cool. I'm saying, man, Austin, you, you'll never be you. And he's like, what do you mean? I, I mean why, maybe I could get a car when I'm sixteen too. I said, no, I, yeah, you can, but you got to be able to pay for it. Yeah, these kids aren't paying for it. And, and so uh, he said, well, how do I do that? I said, you just got to get a job. You got to make some money and a lot of money to buy your own car, right? If you want to buy anything like these kids are buying new, their parents are buying new ones, right? And so we went over the numbers and all that. And I, and I remember showing him, you know, hey, if you do our lawn and these five lawns every, every week, right? You know, I'm paying a guy. So I, at the time, I wasn't mowing my lawn anymore. I'm paying a guy whatever I was paying him, 150 bucks to do my lawn, the mm -hmm. big lawn. And I'll pay you 30 or 40, whatever I was paying. I want a discount because you're going to do a lousy job. You're not going to be as good as these guys up front. So anyway, what happened was we I remember uh, we had to go buy a lawnmower, and he and he uh, had some you know birthday money and this and that. And he had a couple hundred bucks. I had a friend of mine from ComEd, actually. You probably don't remember this guy, Austin, but it's Augie Ropke. I'll never forget yeah, Augie Ropke rebuilt lawnmowers. He had fun rebuilding lawnmowers, and he's actually the guy got us in the NICOR the first time. Huh. He friends introduced yeah. him to Mike Johnson, who became a, a, a team yep. member of ours, right? Yep. But Augie Ropke. Um, I, I was telling about you starting lawn, mow lawns. I said, i got to find a lawnmower for him, but I want to buy it himself. I'm not buying nothing too nice. He was Gary, I, I rebuild lawnmowers. Come on over to my house and look at them. So a weekend, we went over and looked at his lawnmowers. He had all these old junk, junk lawnmowers he yeah. had rebuilt, but he had a nice ride-on, like a 32-inch cut, which is nothing for two and a half acres that he had to mow our own lawn with, but... It was a, it was nicely thing. So you looked at it like it was an amazing machine. And, yeah. Oh my gosh, I could buy this myself for two hundred dollars. <laughs> so anyway, you end up buying the, the best we could find from Augie. Yeah. And, and again, thirty-two inch cut on a two and a half acre lawn, and every other lawn around us was an acre to two acres, right? So mm. he, he might mow. So he started with that, and it took him forever to get a lawn mower. It didn't look very good, but you know, you could pay him thirty or forty bucks compared to the hundred fifty bucks I was paying. Yeah. <laughs> cheap labor for real. But but is, so eventually, eventually, we always said, man, I, you know, this thing, I, I, it's taking me too long. How do I get one of those really nice lawnmowers? After we looked, watched landscapers cut and all that, that's we went and looked and said, okay, man, you can pay for a little of this, but you're going to need a loan. So uh, and I want this loan paid back in a, in a reasonable amount of time. So, so you got a loan from from this man right here. Yep. Yep. Okay. And that was a, one of right. zero radiuses, right? Yeah, it was a zero zero percent APR. No, 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 no. The lawnmower was oh, a it was a Toro I, I zero radius. I might have gave the loan to him with no interest. I might have. I might have paid. So, yeah, yeah, I, I might have charged was, him. I don't know. I don't think there is interest. Depends on the depends on the day. How I, I remember felt, there being you know, interest and how, yeah. and how gullible he was, right? But either way, it was a zero radius Toro, really nice lawnmower, like yeah. five grand at the time or something like yeah. that. 
And so, uh, you know, he knew the numbers. He knew how many lawns he had to do to pay it off. And, and then, you know, started going after a lot of lawns, right? Yep. And it was, yep. that thing was productive yeah. and a nice job, right? So let me ask you a question. Did that help you? And I, obviously, I want to keep going forward. But did that help you as far as understanding exactly numbers early when it comes to business now? Yeah. You know. For sure. Yeah, I remember I was really bad at invoicing. I was really bad at paperwork. So so he would be looking for for me to pay the loan and I'd be like, oh man, I haven't invoiced in, in weeks any of my clients, so I haven't, didn't get any money in. Uh, so yeah, so had to stay on top of that. But yeah, for sure, it helped me kind of understand, you know, costs of you know the fuel and uh, obviously my time but and it wasn't really thinking about my time as like a cost per hour at that time but yeah. had to think about the gas that was being used and the, lo- the loan that had to be paid off um, and you know make sure that I was able to make enough money to do all of that so definitely kind of got into the a little bit more into the you know bookkeeping if you will but uh, but yeah for one one man Team yeah, <laughs> he was an accountant. He was everything. Accountant, yeah, I was the making, marketer, the everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was making good money too. I think like at fourteen, I was probably making I don't know thousand bucks a week. Wow, I'd say wow, close to that. Wow, that yeah, is that's 14, pretty good. Yeah, after you had that lawnmower, I think it was, it was probably up there for sure. Yeah, time. once Man. I got that lawn, the, that other lawnmower. We, we lived we lived on a, in a subdivision with big lots, like you know, uh, pretty much middle income, upper middle income subdivision, yeah. and, and big lots. Uh, so it's kind of nice because they're all one two acre yeah. lots so everybody was used to paying a pretty good buck to one of the lawns gotcha. and then and then I, myself and others had commercial properties around the town we lived in or a town you know a couple towns over where we did business and so he was able to go after those and get those yep. as well so he had commercial accounts too at a young age and back yeah. back then i'll say people didn't look at the workers comp thing and the liabilities much either because i think today it'd be tougher for a kid to do probably that. yeah uh, but yeah, so, yeah. So what? What made you stop doing lawnmower? Like, because it seemed like I mean, if you thirteen, fourteen, making forty eight thousand dollars out of minimum, or fifty two grand thousand. Well, so only you can only mow lawns in the summer, right? So there's oh, only yeah, a certain sure. amount of time that you can do it. Yeah. But, um, but no. So so then, uh, I think that I forgot how. I'm not sure entirely how it came up, but um, my dad had had come to me and said that I could make more money, you know, as a subcontractor for him uh, doing driveways. Gotcha. So. Um, so I ended up selling my lawnmower to my sister, Janelle, and she took over the lawns and oh. I saved enough money to buy, I think, well, I had to take another loan, saved enough money also though to buy a uh, skid loader. Mm. So well, before that, like we were probably, you probably seven, sixteen and a half, 16 and a half, close to 17 when you had enough money to buy your, that pickup truck yeah. that yeah. you used for everything, right? Yep. And that was a, that was, it was a like a like new truck that he got a big discount on. Because somebody pat, had passed away, I think yeah. is what it was. But it was know, nice. Somebody paid thirty some thousand for this beautiful four by four Ford uh, Ford pickup, right? You know, yeah, it was an F two fifty. F two fifty, super duty. And you picked up for like twenty two, and it was like yeah. like no miles on it, right? A couple thousand miles, yeah, or something really like nice. that. Pretty good. So so he's able to pay cash for that at that point oh, at sixteen mm-hmm. and a half years old, right? Which is not common. So yeah. his friends driving their parents. Cars, you know, parent, cars bought by their parents. Kind of, you know, he he didn't talk about it or anything. He's, if I was me, I would have been telling everybody, "Hey, man, I bought this thing, man. I own money, right?" He didn't. He didn't talk about it. All. But his friends that I knew, most or all, yeah, you know, parents bought the cars they drove, right? Which is it makes a big difference in yeah. your life when you can when you know that you you did it yourself. So that yeah, was fun sure. to watch that, right? But then eventually, he was operating equipment, you know, some of our heavy equipment here and there on the, on the side and doing stuff like that. And, and uh, the, the pickup was a three-quarter ton, heavy enough to, to, to pull a decent-sized trailer yep. and heavy enough to pull a skid steer, right? So I said, hey, man, you got all this equipment paid for now. You, you could think about buying a skid steer and subcontract, we can subcontract some of these driveways to you to, mm. to, to get them ready for us. Yeah, I don't think that that, that truck was 
not quite built for that, <laughs> yeah. but we use it, it for that. Built, yeah, use it for that. I don't, I don't know that that would, that would be allowed today. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so use a three-quarter ton of pull. Yeah. So, so then, obviously, in high school, you play any sports or anything from that perspective? I played basketball for the first uh, two years, but I was, I was really more into snowboarding and wakeboarding mm -hmm. and skateboarding. Yeah. Wake, oh, so you yep. were a boarder. Gotcha. Yep. No so, wonder we've never played basketball against Yeah, you, well, I'm still pretty good at basketball. Yeah. I <laughs> still take you. You guys should oh, play. Okay. Right. <laughs> you got way better after after high school and all that. Yeah. He, he was way better than I've ever seen him uh, play. So you, could play, you guys should play sometime. I'm, yeah. I'm always I do like that. I like playing, and well, the problem was I didn't. I was like five foot two until I was a junior. So, <laughs> I, the two years I did play basketball, I was five two, and everybody else was, yeah, you know, yeah. their height, you know, six foot or plus you whatever, was five but. two and fifty pounds. So yeah. <laughs> maybe a little more than that, but <laughs> gotcha. okay, but but uh, we look at look at the, uh, the these this uh, this um, uh, you know building that little business that you did and all it had it had to be kind of fun. But you you know you were on top. At first it was like it was it, for him it was a strain to get out there and do these things. Once he got good equipment, it was like okay, wow, I'm making good money. Yeah. You seem like you're way motivated compared mm -hmm. to you know when you first started. Yeah. Um, but when, when you uh, when you when you bought that equipment and allowed you to do grading and stuff, now you know a lot more debt now because you had a debt right. on an expensive piece of equipment. Yeah. And now you had to make a lot more money, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the the um, the skid loader was, I want to say it was like 60 grand or something like that, 50 maybe. Yeah. Is, maybe Oh no, that was the second one. I bought, a, or 40, I, I bought a second one that was like new and nice mm -hmm. a few years later, and I think that one was like 50 because it was it was new. But yeah, the first one I think was like 30 or 40. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I had that, and then I also purchased a, um, well, I had to get a, buy a new trailer because the lawn mowing trailer wasn't going to be big enough. And then right. I also had a, um, a roller attachment for the skid loader too, that, but that was only a couple thousand dollars. So, so remember, uh, the fun thing is, again, tough love sometimes, right? So, you know, him and I, I you know, love him. He knows, he knows he's my best buddy. But guarantee you, sometimes he, he says, dang, he's such a pain in the ass. For sure. He's a lot. He Last says night. That, right? Last yeah. night, for example. Yeah. yeah. So, so it happens, right? But, but and, and sometimes, you know, you go far, the father, too far. But, you know, it, when, when it came to uh, this, this, this truck, this nice truck he was buying, we put it on the business insurance. We looked at insurance personally for him. It would have been a few thousand dollars, three, four thousand dollars insure that pickup truck mm -hmm. for him, right? And so I set the rules then. I said to my wife and I said to my, my, him and his sisters, while they're, I knew they were going to be driving soon, I said, okay, guys, the business is going to pay for your insurance. It's going to be way cheaper for you to go through the business, right? Four, five, six hundred dollars instead of two, three, four thousand dollars, right? But you're paying for any accidents you get into. Any accidents, you're not stressing the business. It's not fair to the business if you get an accident right. and you stress the business in any way. So you're not just going to pay, pay the deductible. You're going to pay 100% of it. So my wife kind of said, yeah, she's like, yeah, right, too. We, we would never <laughs> let him have, make him pay, the, pay more than deductible, right? I'm saying, no, no, we're going to. She was, she's like, oh, yeah, right. She, she never believed that I'd make it. So sure enough, Austin tested it pretty quick. <laughs> Within like six months of owning this truck, he rear-ended his buddy. Oh, man. Says it was his buddy's fault somehow, right? <laughs> But rear ends his buddy and has to pay for his vehicle and his own, which yeah. I don't know. I think it was thirty five hundred, forty five hundred. I don't think my. I think my truck had like a scratch on the bumper. Okay, but it was like, his vehicle was expensive. <laughs> yeah, his his vehicle was expensive. Yeah. Do you remember what it was? How much? It was probably four grand, I think. So it's like four thousand dollars. He didn't have four thousand saved at this point because he, he you know bought Used that truck, and, truck and, yeah. and his equipment and all this, so he didn't have that much money, right? But his wife, my wife, his mom looks at me and says. Oh, it's only, it's seven hundred fifty dollars for deductible. Poor Austin, he's gonna have to pay that deductible. Yeah, he'll learn a good lesson from that, though, right? He said, "No, honey, remember the rules. He's paying all of it. 
just you would not make him do that. <laughs> seven fifty is plenty of a lesson. I said, honey, no, he's paying all of it. It's if it's a good lesson at seven fifty, it's going to be a really good lesson at four thousand dollars or whatever it was, right? And so sure enough, you know, my wife Cheryl was mad at me for a while, but yeah. I made him pay it all, and, and and emptied his account, right? But there's no stress on the business. He didn't hurt our insurance policy. And you learned a great lesson. And guess what? I just asked him about this question. Did you ever get into another? I don't think so. I don't think I ever got into another accident that was my fault. (laughs) There you go. So it paid off. And this one wasn't my fault either. There we go. There we go. There's no rear end job. When you rear end somebody, it's always your fault. No, what happened was there was a car that was dead stopped in the street, and Pat was in front of me, and he didn't see that car. So he, so him, and then there was somebody in front of Pat. So. That person and Pat both didn't see that car, veered off to the side, and then all of a sudden there's a dead stopped car in front of me, so then I had to steer off and my truck couldn't stop fast enough in the grass and slid and hit hmm. So you're the driver of your truck and you're supposed to know how long it takes to stop it, right? <laughs> Not in grass, on, on the road. I think you got the ticket. On the road. You got the ticket there. I don't know if there was any ticket actually. Oh really? Wow. Yeah, yeah we were able to talk to him out of it. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. You, I guess I think, you learned how to you learn how to charisma from your dad right yeah. there. That's another tip. I have gotten yeah. out of some tickets. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But he cry he cries. Yeah, I taught him how to cry. <laughs> no, really, I cry like a little girl. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I, I and it look it looks terrible, but it works every time. Yes. Yeah. Austin does exactly the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like an ugly cry. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Okay. All right, good. Yeah. And I think that Pat and I had talked to the cop and we're like, said, we're buddies, we'll take care of it. We don't need to go to, to, do it. Yeah, yeah, don't need a ticket. And we yeah, need, I need to get a ticket for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, but again, I, I think, you know, tough, tough love sometimes is important. <clears throat> it, it, you know, sometimes there's a lesson that, that can be had. I think that's important. And, and again, not, but so to my daughters, my daughter Jordan, uh, which is the youngest, gotten, I think, two rear end jobs. Right, I, I think, think so. one of them got into two. Janelle or yeah. Jordan? I think Jordan did. I think um, so. Janelle, you know, because I'm sure she denied that it was her fault the first time. So of course she got <laughs> another one, right? Then maybe she realized it's her fault. And that was the motorcycle, I think, the second yeah. time. And it, yeah. you know, everything was okay. They got they got to get hurt, yep. but scary. Anyway, and Janelle got into one also, and all four times they had to pay their own every single time. Cheryl was mad at me for like a month after. Wow, <laughs> you're so cheap. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but. It works, I think, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, Nick's pretty good, been good so far, right? Nick, knock on wood. Yeah, Nick's yeah. <laughs> uh, now eighteen. There's been a lot of knocking on this bike. But, but Nick doesn't actually like to drive that much. He's very, very, you know, very cautious. You know, yeah, he's not, yeah. he doesn't like to just drive everywhere. Yeah, like don't that. take him downtown, man. You got to be cautiously aggressive yeah. down there. So nothing but, compared to India, buddy. I tell yeah, you that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a cakewalk anywhere here. So, uh, so you obviously graduated from Johnsburg, and then, uh, you know, and then tell me about Marion. Yeah, Marion. So I went to Marion Central. Okay. Yep. Yep. There we go. And then, uh, and then after that, you know, what about college? How did, how did, how do you view college with you being a millennial? I think that's probably a good conversation to have too. Uh, I was, I was never very good at school. Okay. It, it wasn't something, something that came easy. It was, you know, I didn't like it. I didn't like sitting in a classroom. Um, I mean, I liked, I liked school in the sense of I had a lot of friends there and, yeah. and liked hanging out with people, but just didn't like school, schoolwork. So, um, so I wasn't, wasn't, uh, crazy about college. My mom really wanted me to go. And um, so I went to Loris College for a year. Um, that's out in Dubuque, Iowa. Okay. And did not like Dubuque, Iowa <laughs> at all. Uh, so came back and went to MCC for, I think it was like for a semester or something like that. And then uh, thought that I wanted to get into film, went to Columbia College for a semester. Then 
didn't you know didn't really enjoy that. Went to Kendall College and uh, and was in at Kendall College um, in the business entrepreneurship program. Wait, so, so I was what? I was so in like, school for four went to for another four years. College to catch up. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, two different right. times. Another, another lesson. <laughs> another tough lesson, one. right? <laughs> Is every time he had to go to a junior college to catch up, or he would have gotten it, he had to pay for that. Yeah. So that was yeah. my deal. I'm not paying for you know more than four years. So you're paying the rest. So he yeah. was paying. He paid to go to junior college to catch up his credits to go to the next. Yeah. yeah. So I, I w- went to college for four years, but did not graduate. So gotcha. <laughs> I think I was. I think I still probably had uh, probably a year of credit to to go, and and it wasn't something that I mean I I preferred to to work like so I also uh, did snow snow removal in okay. the winter with my yeah. equipment, so if there was a storm, I would miss class and I would because I'd be out uh, plowing snow, mm-hmm. and so I'd miss class and I'd get behind and like work was just always more important and and more fun for me too. So I just you know, I wasn't crazy about school and and uh, didn't you know probably should have. Figure that out before uh, yeah. spending four years in college, but <laughs> so let, let me ask you. And this is, I think, this is a good conversation to have, just from a perspective of college in itself, or just school in its own right. With you being a millennial and and uh, and and having that experience, I mean, what are your thoughts on? Because obviously, and let me kind of test this uh, before you kind of put it out there for our listeners. You know, I always say utilize the grocery store approach. You know, you might not. Um, a, you might not agree with everything, but whatever you hear, put it in the cart, keep it moving, or just keep it on the shelf, you know? So mm-hmm. when it comes to you specifically, what are your thoughts on college now, now that we've seen a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, or even you as well from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, I, I, I don't think it's a one size fits all, right? I think everybody's different. Everybody learns differently. I learned more hands-on and being out in the field and working and um, and that, I enjoyed that more, so I, I enjoyed it more, and that's how I learned. I didn't learn very well, you know, sitting in a classroom and, and listening to lectures. Um, but some people do, right? I think so. I think that um, I think that it's a you know it should be taken on a case by case basis, yeah. and uh, depending on what you want to go into, and um, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with trade school if that's you know if that's the direction that you want to go, or not go to college at all. I, I don't think that there's you know anything wrong with that. And even when I'm when I'm hiring people too, I. You know, some of the the positions obviously require some schooling if we're looking for an engineer or something like that. But I mean, you know, if it's not something that that requires college, it's not something that I generally look at on like an application when we're hiring people. Gotcha. So, all right, cool, awesome. Yeah. So after you, I guess, did all of your schooling, yeah. realized okay, it's just time for me to start doing adulting. Right? Yeah. Uh, next thing was, uh, did you get into the family business a little bit? Yeah. Or? Yeah. So um, I was like growing up, I I always liked working in the field and, and doing what I was doing, but um, I knew that you know I didn't want to work in the field my whole life. Um, and I wasn't entirely certain of, of what I wanted to do within the family business and whether or not I wanted to get into the family business. I think that was something that I was still kind of exploring. Um, and so, uh, so I was, at, I think it was the last year of school, I was uh, renting my equipment out uh, to Rabine Paving, so the the cities in the cr- or the crews in the city. So I was renting my equipment out, and then um, and then I was doing an internship here uh, in the office. So um, and it was just a, any kind of like project that they needed help with. So um, at the time, I remember I was helping a lot with uh, Palatine Oil Company, which isn't a Rabine company anymore, um, but that was a company that I was I was helping out with a lot. Rabine Paving, 
whether it's sales or marketing or just you know research projects that they needed help with, and uh, I really started to to enjoy it and and built some good relationships in the office here, uh, and uh, that's when uh, the president of Raybine at the time had offered me to come on on full time um, to help out, and it was still for the first year it was kind of just a bunch of different projects learning learning all the different businesses and different aspects of the business, um, and then uh, I think. It, I think it was yeah a year and then um, and then I started with Raybine Paving America mm. um, and then maybe it was a it was a couple of years kind of doing a bunch of different projects but um, then in Raybine Paving America I think that's where I, I found that it was like a business that I really enjoyed because it was um, I liked the the paving industry I liked what we were doing but um, I didn't <clears throat> necessarily I've always been interested in technology and you know scaling a business and um, I didn't see the, the self-performing business um, as clearly a path for like you know massive scale of, of a business and but with Raybine Paving America uh, that was very possible because it's you know you're not you don't own your own equipment we're using partners to perform the work uh, so since we're, we're outsourcing a lot of that labor hiring it to partners uh, then it's you can scale that a lot easier right mm -hmm. so you can you know you're not limited by uh, where your crews are where the equipment is or where your offices are you can work anywhere because um, you're you're hiring that out so that's when I started to I think really become passionate about uh, about Raybine Paving America and the business specifically um, so in Raybine Paving America I was I uh, operations manager for a while project manager out in the field. I did uh, sales, account did management, everything. estimating. Um, yeah, a little bit of everything. Um, so, uh, so yeah, and then as of, it was four, probably three, four, three or four years, four ago, years ago. Four years ago. Um, Nick was... Yeah, yeah, four years ago, uh, kind of took over the business as general manager um, and, and running that. So you remember the story, company, Nick, so. Nick Matthew was one of the Ditch Digger Seal stories. You probably yeah. don't even listen to it. You may not have heard I've it, buddy, listened, Nick. I haven't listened to Nick's. Oh, so sorry, you got to listen to Nick's. Nick's is one of the best. <laughs> I was actually listened, listening to uh, Chris's today. Though. There we go. There so, we go. He said great. today, too. Yeah. That means that's it's, good. In, his, that's good. it's yeah. in his well, arsenal. So, so Nick, our, our partner and the CEO of Pipeview America, so that, the story of him, remember? He, yeah. He 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 um, grew his his the side business that he started on his own before coming here from a fifty thousand dollar business to a million and a half or whatever it was in revenues and then said man I, I really want to go off and run this mm -hmm. Gary well Nick was the guy that was leading Raybine Paving yep. America at the time so I I said who you know no problem Nick if you want to go run this I know you'll grow it you're going to do great we're gonna we're gonna have fun growing it who you want to mentor and so he, he didn't hesitate he said Austin Austin's a guy I don't care if he's your son or not you know people might say it's just because your son it's not he's a great guy I can mentor him in a heartbeat to, yeah. to, to run this business that's so that, awesome. that's how that happened and within a few months he mentored him in that in that position and yep. um, you know Austin not long after then gives me the you know the, the, the what, do you, what would you say it gives me the boot basically <laughs> I want to go run this other thing after he figured out so you know two two years later you can talk about what happened there, but yeah. you know, Austin came in the business and saw some efficiencies that could be gained with using yeah. technology. So yeah, yeah, well, that started. Well, before we get into that one, what I would like to always look at is kind of the other side of you know, again, you being in a, a second generation entrepreneur from mm -hmm. that perspective. Maybe you've seen some things that your dad has done, and in businesses, and I think you know, failing is part of success anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So, what are probably some opportunities where you like, oh, holy crap! He, I mean, this happened, and, and, and oh, that was catastrophic. Yeah. Okay, let me not let never let that happen again for me personally, because yeah. um, I always believe the best experiences 
is someone else's. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. like probably what are some things that you probably saw just from being part of Raybine for the years that you've had that yeah. like, okay, let me make sure as I start site, I don't duplicate those hmm. uh, those opportunities. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think I, I think that, you know, you're always you're always learning. I mean, I think there's I I've learned, you know, everything that I know about business through the you know, Ray Buying group and the leaders that we have here and my dad and um you know so i don't know it's yeah. it's, it's tough a tough question i mean i think that like as far as things that we saw as failures or things to learn from you're, you're always trying new things and failing and um in business and and learning from that um specifically i would say uh I don't know. That's a, that's a good the question. easy blunt stuff is yeah. when we lose a bunch of money, right? Yeah, that's the it? easy you stuff. You got to look into yeah. how you lost it, right? That's probably a simple thing. Yeah. You or see a business daily, right? that you know that may have may have been started that um, didn't go as expected, and yeah. uh, maybe there wasn't enough. I think that one thing you know, my dad's great at at sales and um, and building relationships and building these businesses. Um, <clears throat> maybe not as good at uh, doing some of the you know digging into details or research prior to making some some decisions and yeah. that's something that I think that you know he surrounds himself with people that do do that um, and uh, that's something that I think that like I, I I'm slower some, to I usually ask at least three people yeah. about, you know, what <laughs> they think about a business I'm, I'm looking at starting and yeah. I get you know fair fair answers from them and yeah. and then go with it usually if two right. out of three like the idea I usually ask people if zero that, out of the three huh? don't like the idea, and then you still go with it. No, yeah, sometimes it's happened once or twice. But. <laughs> well, uh, let me, let me yeah. ask both of you all a question. And for all you know, startup entrepreneurs or business owners who are definitely trying to go from entrepreneur to company, because you both have done it, right? What are probably some pitfalls that you all think that you know? And again, from a millennial aspect of it, is where you're at and you're growing. And then, of course, for you having 1.5 billion dollars in revenues plus plus plus. What are some pitfalls that you both see that, like, man, people nowadays, if they were just to watch out for this, you know, yeah. that might be an issue. Well, so the, the one of the things that uh, Austin will tell you is my issue is is sometimes hiring people I just I trust that that I probably don't do enough due diligence, and they're not they may not bad people they're just culturally not a fit, right? So I mean, there's I can think of one that you know right now that that uh, you know Austin and a couple others said. Okay, yeah, maybe he's a good guy, maybe he's really smart, but or she, he or she, right? But culturally, no way they're going to fit in our core values, right? And, and I'm like, ah, come on, that, that's easy. They, these are easy core values. They, you know, they, they're, they're good people, they'll fit, right? Well, there's a couple of times that Austin's been right, my wife's been right, and other leaders and, and friends in our business have been right. And, and so I'm not always right there. I trust first always instead of you know, really, and, and, and again, if they're good people, I just think they'll, it'll work out. Because good people don't don't necessarily match culturally mm -hmm. with my cult, my core values or somebody else's, right? Mm -hmm. So that's probably my biggest thing is jumping in in relationships that way that, that probably aren't the best fit. Um, and I, I think I think that, that happens a lot. I think people jump in relationships or hire people or teammates or, or partners even, right? Probably culturally and core value wise don't match. I think that's to me that's a huge problem mm. Not, and I, that I didn't realize 15 years ago. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that. Um, one of the biggest things that, that for me is really important is understanding the things that I'm not good at or don't want to do. And because if, it's, if I don't want to do it, then I'm not going to become good at it, right? I can learn it and I can do it and I can get through it if I need to. Um, but if I don't enjoy it, then I'm not going to become really good at it. 
Uh, so, and I think this is something that my dad had always talked about was surrounding yourself with good people. So kind of back to the cultural fit and having good people on your team, but also so surrounding yourself with good people and then people that are better than you at, at the things that, you know, you aren't good at or don't necessarily want to, to focus on um, and focus on your, your strengths, right, in business. Um, you know, I think that, I forget what it was. <clears throat> I was, it was either in a podcast that I was listening to or a book that I was reading uh, that it said, you know, people always, they, people always say focus on, on your weaknesses and, and getting better with your weaknesses, right? Um, <clears throat> but there's also a good argument to be made about doubling down on your strengths and mm-hmm. things that you're already good at and that you enjoy doing, double down on that and become the best or th- the best that you can at that or the greatest at that. That's really um, good. But yeah. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. We're blessed to build a business in America where soldiers fight for our freedom every day. Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck. Rolling down highway. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans, then I became the CEO man.